listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. This is our core passage this morning. We're going to flip through a couple of passages in the book of Matthew. These are all things that Jesus said himself while he was here on earth, and they're recorded uh, for us by Matthew. So we're going to look at a couple different passages today, and I want want to warn you from the outset, some of the things that Jesus has said are hard to hear, and they're even harder to implement. And so what we want to do is we want to use Matthew 6.33 as kind of like our anchor text this morning. So that way, as we kind of work our way through some of the things that Jesus said, if at any point in this message you're like, you know what, I'm done, go back to Matthew 6.33. It's our anchor text. It's our, our, our main theme, if you would, for this morning. Listen, the, the, the intro or the title of this message is Seek First the Kingdom of God. That's what we're aiming for this morning. Above everything else, let's as a church seek first the kingdom of God, and then we'll see that all these other things will be added unto us. And so this verse um, has a particular meaning for us as a family. Um, in 2008, um, while in business, I had to make um, some decisions regarding the business that I was in. And uh, someone had given me that verse, and I wrote it down on a sticky note, and I kind of attached it to my computer monitor. I'm like, Lord, like, what do you want from me? I'll do whatever you want in business, but just tell me what you want. And so we're as a family, we're seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you want from us? And I can tell you a bunch of years later, this little sticky note on a computer monitor has turned into a giant billboard that hangs as like the centerpiece in our house. You want to know why? Every single day that I wake up and I stumble down our stairs, kind of looking for the coffee pot, the first thing I need to see every morning is that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because in my flesh, I tend to build my own kingdom every day. I want to be about the kingdom of Tim Hamer and the Hamer family and what we can do and what we want to accomplish in life. And I need that reminder every single day that, Tim, you're not building your kingdom. Tim, I've called you to build my kingdom. And that's exactly what God is doing. He is building his kingdom, and it is unstoppable this morning. And so what's the kingdom of God? Well, it's up on the screen. It could be defined as this. A guy named Graham Goldworthy gave us a very simple definition for what is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God may be defined as, listen, God's people in God's place under God's rule and his blessing. Do you know that, that God's on a singular, actually a singular mission? This is his mission. Right now, he is establishing his kingdom. He's putting all the pieces into place that one day he's going to come and he's going to rule. And it's going to be us, his people. And we're going to be under his blessing and under his rule. That is God's singular mission. So when we're talking about mission this morning, we're talking about the singular mission of God to establish once and for all his kingdom. So we need to ask ourselves, okay, if that's God's mission... What's my mission in that? As a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ, what's, like, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want uh, from us? And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. And so point number one is this. You can write it down if you're taking notes. Uh, I have been called to mission, and that's our purpose. I've been called to mission. That's our purpose. Just flip back one page in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew 5, verse 14. I'm going to read it for us. It says this. Here we go. Our mission, our purpose. Listen, this is what 
God made you for? We're going to find out right here. Like, have you been wondering the last little bit, like, God, like, what do you want from me? Like, what's my purpose in life? What, like, what, what do you want me to do in your kingdom? We have the answer right here. Matthew 5, verse 14 says this, you are the light of the world. Listen, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all of the house. And watch this, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen, that's our calling right there. Your calling as a follower in Jesus Christ, my calling is simply this, is to be a light to the world around us. It really is that simple. And so this calling supersedes every other calling that you might have in life. So whatever title you hold right now, mom, dad, teacher, snowplow driver, if you're here, whatever your title is this morning, listen, the title of follower of Jesus Christ and the call to be a light in the, to the world is our main purpose. That's why God put us here on this planet. That's why this church is here in Kelowna. You realize that? That God has put you here in this church for a time such as this in this city. That's why you're here, to be a light of the gospel to those around you. This is why God redeemed you in the first place. This is why God saved you and God is giving you purpose in his kingdom. Listen, so that you would give him all the glory and all the adoration he deserves. That's what we've been doing this morning, all morning. God, we're giving you all the glory. And as we're doing that, we're calling all the people around us to do the exact same thing. Come, worship God. Worship his son, Jesus. He's so worthy of our praise. That's what we're doing with our neighbors. That's what we're doing with our coworkers. You've got to love Jesus. You guys are missing out. You need purpose. And so... We need to take a little time out here in our message this morning because um, I don't want to confuse the issue. You might read that we are the light of the world. Wait a second, I'm the light of the world? I thought Jesus Christ was the light of the world. Absolutely. Jesus Christ is the capital, actually, no, all caps light of the world. He is, absolutely. He, <laughs> listen, he is um, the, the supreme reigning king of the universe, even right now in this moment. And listen, he left his kingdom and came down here, not as like a victorious conquering king. We know that he left his kingdom and he came as a humble servant. And he's a humble servant, listen, that lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus Christ never sinned once. He didn't even contemplate sin. Listen, the reason why he did that is because there needs to be a penalty for sin. There needs to be a payment for that sin. And that's what Jesus' singular mission. He came here um, to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin, and for all the sin of the world. And he did that by being hung on a cross, a ruthless, horrible, terrible death as they crucified him as a result. And in that moment, Jesus did once and for all what only he could do, which was satisfy the wrath of his father and pay the penalty for sin. See, God has a singular mission, right? Like he's building his kingdom. And he gave his son, Jesus, a singular mission as well. Jesus' singular mission was simple this. For God so loved the world, us, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, so that whoever would believe in him, listen, won't perish, will have eternal life. 
That was Jesus' singular mission. He was sent here for that purpose. So think about that as a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. What's the response that we should have as believers to the mission of Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, thankfulness and gratefulness. You know, our response should simply be this. We need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what the Bible says. Believe and you'll be saved. It's as simple as that. Do you believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin? Do you believe that he was actually sent here by his heavenly Father to accomplish that task? So we need to repent of our inability to save ourselves, and then we need to look to Jesus Christ as perfect Lord and perfect King of the universe. That's the blessing that we have of being saved. Like, do you remember the moment God redeemed you? It's good to pause every now and then and say, okay, God, I just want to think about the fact that you saved me. Like as you walk around Kelowna here, there are hundreds of thousands of people who do not know Jesus Christ. But God chose to save you, and he chose to save me. And it's good to pause and think about that moment that you were regenerated. That's just literally the term that God took your filthy old self and literally took your heart out and transplanted a new heart into you. He gave you new purpose. That old person who was full of sin and in some sense leading a meaningless life that would end just in death and eternal separation from Jesus Christ, that person was transformed in that moment that you looked at Jesus Christ and you said, I, I believe. I believe everything that you say is true, that everything in your word is true. I believe. In that moment, you're regenerated, and all of a sudden, you get a brand new purpose. You're called to mission. We're now with God in the building of his kingdom, calling other people to worship him around us. So we go from no purpose to that purpose, which to me is awesome. So we have a job to do. Listen, loved ones, we're the light of the world. Listen, a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he uses, get this, he uses us, sinful, imperfect people, as instruments of light to illuminate his son, Jesus Christ. That to me is unbelievable. That to me is totally unbelievable that God would use every single one of us as an instrument of light in the building of his kingdom. You know, that the, the light of Jesus Christ, which shines through you and us, it can reach some of the darkest of places. I don't know what it's like here in Kelowna. I don't know where the dark places are in Kelowna. But in my, in my role, I get to see um, some dark places, uh, particularly in the last year. Um, I've done a fair amount of traveling. Um, uh, I've been in Lebanon, um, inside the, uh, the largest prison facility in the Middle East, holding all the top ISIS and Al-Qaeda detainees. It was dark there, let me tell you. Um, I was on the border of Syria in Jordan, watching all these refugees come in from both Syria and from Iraq. It is a dark place coming there. But I want to tell you this morning, um, what I saw in Haiti in the last year is by far the darkest place I've ever seen in my life. It is absolutely dark in that country. You know that Haiti is the poorest country in, our, in the Western Hemisphere? Literally, the country of, of Haiti has been dedicated to voodoo. The national religion of Haiti is voodoo. Voodoo is the worship of the devil, literally. 
and calling upon about the demonic to do their bidding. And recently, like within the last two decades, the government of Haiti actually recognized their country as like, our main religion is voodoo. How crazy is that? So think about how Satan works. He takes the people who are already impoverished by poverty, it's the poorest country in the world, plus layer on top of that the fact that he, the country is dedicated to Satan, and then no wonder it's such chaos and it's so dark in a country like that. This country has a, a rich history of celebrating uh, voodoo. Yeah, at night, you can, if you listen carefully, you can hear them beating voodoo drums during the week. It's a scary thing. I'm not lying. And Satan loves to prey on the poor and the vulnerable. And listen, the results in Haiti have been just absolutely catastrophic. Even the believers in Haiti fear voodoo. It's not even uncommon for um, so-called Christians to worship Jesus on Sundays and then secretly practice voodoo throughout the week. So when you're desperate, you'll do whatever. If your kid's sick, I'll call on Jesus if he helps me. If he heals my kid, I'll call upon Satan. If he's willing to heal my kid, I'll do whatever. I'm desperate. I've got to feed my family today. That's the reality of life in uh, Haiti. It's a tough place to do uh, ministry. And so think about it. This is the context in which Pastor Jethro, who you saw on the screen, and his wife Vanessa launched a church today. Today in Capation. There's a church that opened its doors. In the middle of all of that darkness, God is raising up these lights and he's doing an awesome work through them. You know, like the light of the gospel can reach the, the darkest of darkest places that we think that it can't work, but it can because God is planting his people uh, around the world. And Pastor Jethro has been uh, called by the Lord to be a light in his community. Now, I spent some time with him. I was there last week, actually. And that man is unbelievable because he understands the, the problem in his country. And God specifically called him and placed him there. And he's called men and women around them. They're pl they've planted with a core group of 100 adults. It's amazing in that place. And last week we were um, there for a prayer meeting. And you have to understand in Haiti, there's, there's no power. They don't have government power there. So if you need lights in your service, you have to have a generator. And so they're renting a place that has a generator. And so we were singing just like we were this morning. And man, when you hear people singing a different language, it's amazing. And so they're singing in Creole and they've got their full band playing. And I'm loving every minute. It is loud, okay? It is really loud in this place. They love to worship with vigor. And all of a sudden, the lights go off. And it is, I mean, it is pitch black in this place. You can't see your hands in front of your eyes. All the music stops, and it's just a cappella voices singing and praising God. And in that moment, it was a physical reminder of the spiritual reality in that country. It's dark, but people are calling out to the Lord, and they're worshiping Him, and it's awesome. And we get to be a part of that as a church, which is amazing. How cool is that, that we in Canada get to partner with the church in Haiti so that they can be a light, to the, a light for the gospel in their community? That fires me up, and it fires me up for this church, how the Lord might use this church in the life of maybe a different church that you guys never thought about in a million years. Oh, Lord, you have to do that. That would be amazing. But listen, if you think that some places in the world or some people are too hard to reach, you're wrong. You're wrong. Look at me this morning. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is totally unstoppable. 
It's totally unstoppable. That's what we have as believe. We know for sure that God blesses the church, and he says the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So we know that for sure, which is so encouraging, knowing as we're doing this work, and it's hard work here in Kelowna, and it's hard work in Oakville, trust me, and it's hard work across the world. God promises to bless it, and he's going to do it because he's promised that in his word, which is awesome. So Jethro, one, one example of one light to a community in Haiti. What about us? What about you guys here in uh, Kelowna? God's calling us together to be a light to the world. And so you look around us, like look around in Kelowna. What's happening in this city? I read this morning that seven people died of an overdose this week in your city. What's happening in a city? You know, this world is becoming a dark place. I mean, we, we look around, we read news reports, we watch the media. It, it's fair to say, like, we're living in a pretty dark world right now. I mean, uh, reports of murder, reports of terrorism, um, just basically more darkness, more terror, idolatry, wickedness, lust, racism at an all-time high. Like, it's hard to turn on the news lately. And you, you see what's happening in our, in our country and in our world. And we're like, what, Lord, are you doing? It is such a dark place. Moral decay at an all-time high as we look around us in our city and in our province here in BC, in the country of Canada, and then the world. We'd be encouraged because Jesus said this in John 8, verse 12. He said, this is again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I, I am, all caps, light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See the promise there? We're not going to fear the darkness when it creeps in. Why? We have what everyone doesn't have who's living in the dark. We have the light. We're following Jesus Christ. We can't walk in darkness. We're walking in glorious light together. It is uh, amazing. We have the promise of Scripture for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We don't fear the darkness. We follow the light. It's awesome. So church, our purpose, uh, actually our privilege, our privilege in times of darkness and complete chaos is, listen, to simply reflect the light of Jesus Christ to the dark world around us. We can do that. We can do that as a church. Look at the text. Why are we going to do this? Just look at it. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is our purpose. So if that's our purpose, church, I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing in that purpose? Like if you take inventory of your life right now, if you take inventory, even of the last week, whatever you're doing, if you're at school, if you're at work, how are you doing in the purpose of being a light of the gospel to those around you? Can I ask you, like, are you a, like, just this giant flashlight who's, like, reflecting people to the cross of Jesus Christ? Hey, you got to come. You got to come to my church. You got to read this Bible. I'll give you one. I want to tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. He's awesome. He's the light of the world. Like, are you, are you that person in your office or in your school, um, in your neighborhood, on your street? Or are you this, like, dim lit little tea light that's kind of flickering around and you kind of hide it? like this and walk around and don't let anybody know that you actually go to church or that, heaven forbid, you should open up God's word and believe it to be actually true. Is that you this morning? That is not your purpose. Our purpose is to be giant flashlights as we're directing people to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. My fear in our day, church, um, 
that perhaps the world around us has become so dark because we as followers of Jesus Christ have become so dim. Right? How does that happen? We simply do this. You want to be a dimlit follower of Jesus Christ? Just stop reading his book. Don't seek first the kingdom of God, and you can be a dimlit tea candle too. But the thing is, as we open up God's word and we start to seek him first, as we seek him first in the morning, we get up in the morning, Lord, I need to hear from you this morning. I can't do this day without you. Would you speak to me this morning? If we, as we do, then we actually start to seek first his kingdom instead of our own kingdoms. Then he starts to work through us, which is awesome. So we need to wake up. Because I want to challenge you here in Kelowna, wake up. Wake up and see what's happening in this city. See the opportunities for the light of Jesus Christ that are around us. I don't know what your opportunities are in this community, but you guys do. How has the Lord called you in this place to be a light in this community first? We got to wake up. We got to seek first the kingdom of God. And it starts with us in this church. This is not the responsibility of your pastor. This is the responsibility of us, the followers of Jesus Christ. So we need to get after that. It's our calling. It's simply this. Reflecting the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. That's our calling. All of us on mission, every man, woman, and child in this place, that's what we're doing. It starts with opening up this book, seeking first the kingdom of God, and knowing our calling, all of us together. So you have been called. I've been called to mission. That is our purpose together. That's our first point. Our second point is this. Write this down. Secondly, I must be compelled to mission. It's one thing to be called to mission, to know that, okay, we have a job to do, but also I need to be compelled. There has to be something that's building up inside of me that is, is picking up some urgency in my life. So that when I'm going to school, as I'm going to work, that I'm like, okay, Lord, today, would you give me an opportunity for the gospel with somebody that I know? There needs to be some urgency in our lives. I'd love for you to flip forward to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew 9, verse 35. I'm going to read it. We're going to develop some urgency here this morning for the gospel. Matthew 9, 35 says this. It says, And Jesus went through all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. See what he's doing there? My father is coming. He's setting up his kingdom. And he's healing every disease and every affliction. Look at Jesus' heart here. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's our Jesus. He's looking around in the darkness. He's looking around these people. I'm like, you guys are so lost. And so then he turns to his disciples and he turns like thereby, he turns to us. And this is what he says to us in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. That's the key there. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. What we get here is the number one lesson we need to learn in mission. Write this down. Prayer is the fuel of mission. Prayer is the fuel of mission. I know you guys are in a series right now on prayer. Listen, if you want to see God do an unbelievable thing in the community here and in this church, listen, it starts with prayer. That's people fasting and praying, Lord, would you show up? Would you show us in our community where you want to deploy us? 
So it starts with prayer, and then it's covered in prayer. Who are the prayers in this church? The Lord has called you to pray privately. Maybe some of you even have a prayer closet. You know that was a real thing? Back in the 1700s and 1800s, Christians were building closets in their house so they could quietly pray. So we're blanketing this, this city, this country, this world with prayer. And then when we see God move in power, when we see people move from darkness into life, when we see them saved, when we see people give their life to Jesus Christ, it's because they too start to pray. God, I believe. I believe in you. Take my life. I'll do whatever you want. We see people repenting of sin in prayer. It's awesome. But it's rooted in prayer. And so we look at a passage like this, and we need to ask ourselves, okay, if this is an issue of prayer, if prayer is a fuel for mission, who are the sheep that Christ is referring to here? What harvest is he talking about? Are we the sheep? Are we the harvest? Let me just explain um, numerically what this looks like. So if we look at our planet today, there's just over 7 billion people um, on the face of the earth today. And we can kind of categorize the 7 billion people on this planet. Um, in a large sense, um, stats show that there's about um, 2 billion Christians um, on this planet right now. You have to understand, here in Canada, when you say you're Christian, you don't say I was born Christian. You say, at some point I came to uh, understand who Jesus Christ was. I gave my life to him. So we say, Bible-believing, born-again Christians. But in other parts of the world, people are, they'll say, I'm born Christian. So, for example, in the Middle East, you either have a Christian name, Michael, or you might have an Islamic name, Muhammad. So let's just say there's, if the numbers are two billion, let's say just conservative, let's say there's a billion Christians on the planet today. That leaves six billion people that are the lost sheep that this passage is referring to. Think about that number. That's an astounding number. Six billion people who don't worship Christ, who don't follow him, and who are perishing to an eternity apart from him in a place that is real called hell. That fact alone should drive some urgency within us. That's not right. We can't have six billion people on this planet that don't know him. The next largest group are, are Muslims. There's about 1.8 million Muslims on this planet. And the rest of the three billion are a mix of different religions. Uh, Buddhist, Sikh, non-religious, atheist, agnostic. In America, you can identify yourself as a Jedi. You can even be a Jedi. If you want to count yourself as a Jedi, I'm not agnostic. I believe in Jedi. That's a real thing in the States, which is ridiculous. Listen. Think about this for a second. Of that six billion people who don't worship Christ, there's a smaller number of three billion people. They've never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Never heard the name. They don't know. Do you know Jesus? Never heard of him. Complete and utter darkness. They only have what the Bible says is like a general revelation. They might sit there and think, I think there may be some type of God out there, but they have no idea about the specific revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came and gave his life for us. So of that 3 billion people, we can even categorize them even further. There's about 6,500 distinct ethnic groups that make up that 3 billion people. So that's 6,500 people that have their distinct culture, their own uh, language, and they are totally unreached. Listen, they don't have a Bible in their own language. They don't have a single believer to be a light of the gospel to them. 
They're in total, absolute, complete darkness. Listen, they're the, the sheep without a shepherd. That should drive some urgency for us this morning. That did for Jesus. David Platt famously said this, uh, thinking about this group of people who are totally unreached. They said he said, their knowledge of God is only enough to damn them to hell. That should sit like right about here in your stomach as you think about that. That should drive some urgency for us as church as we consider there's people on this planet that have never heard the name of Jesus in the complete and utter darkness. Church, that leaves us with this mask of tasks left remaining. Listen, these people have to be reached with the good news of Jesus Christ. They have to be reached. So I want to tell you about a family um, in our church as a bit of an illustration. Um, we refer them to our church as the M family. And the reason why we do that is they're serving in a country that we don't also name in our church. And so we have a bunch of people in our church that are praying for the M family serving somewhere, and we'll say Central Asia. And the reason why we don't give the name and why we don't give the country is because the country that they're serving in is 99.9% Muslim. And it is against the law to, first of all, be in that country as, as a Christian who is working there um, as a missionary. And, and secondly, if you share the good news of Jesus Christ in that country and you get caught, you're going to jail or worse. And so we have to try and protect their identity. But listen, of the 6,500 unreached people groups, there's six in that particular country. And so this family, feeling the burden and the urgency for that particular people group, they sold everything they have in Ontario and left and went to this country. And they took their kids there. And this is not necessarily a friendly place to raise up your family. But they were compelled by the gospel to go to this place. And so what they're doing is they're reaching out and trying to reach these six unreached people groups. The problem with these groups is they have their own individual language, but it's, uh, they don't have a written language. So in other words, their, their, their language is entirely oral. So if we want to get the Bible to this particular people group, we first have to teach them to read. And so the first job in sharing the gospel there is not like just opening up God's word and speaking to them. It's literally we have to, A, make an alphabet for this particular people group. And while we're making this alphabet, we're going to teach the people how to read. That's their cover into that country. And it's, it's funded by the government. They don't realize that they're funding the good news of Jesus Christ, but they are, which is awesome. So it's an alphabet. They're teaching people how to read so that at some point they can translate God's word secretly into their language and give it to the people. Now they have the light of Jesus Christ. That's going to take years to accomplish that task. That's only six of the 6,500 people groups. And so I was talking to them um, at the end of last year, um, and they had hired a man to help with the translation work. And so they've established the alphabet. Now they're actually in the process of translating portions of scripture. And so they're, I mean, they have no choice. They hire a Muslim man. And so this Muslim man doesn't realize what he's translating until he sees, so he speaks the local dialect that has no written language, but he also speaks the larger language of that country. And he, he goes into our missionary's um, office, and he sees a copy of the New Testament um, in his language on their shelf. And he looks at it, he looks at them, and he's like, can I borrow that? That's your holy book, right? And you have to understand that moment. It, it's, it's against a, their religion as a Muslim to read our holy book. And so for him to ask the question, he's putting himself on the line a little bit. But for our missionaries, it is absolutely against the law to give him that book. 
And so they do. They give it to him. And now both of these people are taking a risk. So that man takes the scriptures home. He comes back a month later. This is what he says verbatim. I finally believe. I believe your holy book to be true. And I want to be a Christian. That's what this man says. Now you have to understand, as a missionary that's going to an unreached people group, he's part of this, he's one of the 6,500 unreached people groups. That means if that guy is now saved, he's literally the first light in that entire people group. He's the one guy that the Lord has plucked out and said, we're going to start with this guy. (laughs) So he gets saved. And so he's now evangelizing to his family. And what do we know from scripture, especially in Acts? When one person gets saved in a household, the whole household tends to get saved, right? Especially when the dad gets saved, right? So that's what happens next. You get saved, and then you get baptized, right? So literally, they baptize the first convert of an unreached people group, and this is like the holy grail of missions for this family. This is the thing that you're praying for like crazy to see God move in a powerful way amongst that people group. And so we're celebrating with them. We're like, yeah, this is awesome. This is amazing. We're so excited to see now one light, one light of the gospel to this unreached people group. That is hard work in that particular uh, country. The reality is this, though. Carl F. Henry said this, and he said it really well for us. So the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. What about the 6,499 other unreached people groups, like in our lifetime? It's only good news if we can get it there before they perish to an eternity apart from Jesus Christ. So that's, it should have some urgency with us. So Jesus says in this passage here, he says, the harvest is plentiful and he's bang on when he says the laborers are few. Even in our day, like where did all of our missionaries go? How can, church, how can we stand down in our day knowing that this is true and not do anything? We can't stand down as followers of Jesus Christ and watch six billion people perish and go to eternity and hell apart from Jesus Christ. That's the reality for them. So that's the task left remaining for us in this church. And so if we have urgency in our day, we have to pray. That's what God's word is saying. We have to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out more laborers into his field. And that they're going to tell these people that there is an answer for all of this death and darkness. His name is Jesus Christ. He's their only hope for salvation and eternity with him in his kingdom. And so I want to ask you this morning, in some sense, plead with you. Would you be a prayer in this church? Like, would you be called to pray specifically for the salvation of people in Kelowna? in your families, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in this country of Canada, in these unreached people group, who in this place will commit to pray? And who in this place will commit to go? I believe with all my heart that there is an individual or a family in this church that the Lord is calling you to leave this place and go somewhere else for the cause of his kingdom. Who are you in this place? You need to identify yourself. If your heart's beating like this right now, because you're hearing me say this, that's the Holy Spirit reminding you that he's calling you. Go talk to your pastor. He would love to talk to you about that. This church would love to send out missionaries as laborers in the harvest. That's what we're praying for. Who are you in this place? You need to identify yourself. Who will go? We need people in this church that are willing to 
cross the barrier of culture and language and then land to reach the lost. That's what we're looking for. And I pray that all the time for our church in Oakville. God, raise up people that will put worldly aspirations aside and do the things that you've called us to do. So that's a few people in the church. The reality is not everyone in this church is going to be raised up as a missionary. That's the reality. And so if you're not in that category, you're in the category of prayer or what are we supposed to do with what God has given us around us? So typically God's not calling everyone here to the mission field, right? Wrong. If you think that you're not called to the mission field because you're not called to go to another land, that by nature, that means you're called to be right here in this church, in this community. It's all of our jobs to be on mission together. You can't give the load of missions to your pastor and a few people in this church who feel the calling for mission. That is all of our jobs in this church. Every man, every woman, every child as we're raising them up. It's all of our responsibility. And there's just urgency. Like, church, the, we have never had opportunity in Canada like we're getting right now. There is people coming to our country from all over the world. And maybe that's not so reflected yet in Kelowna, but trust me, it's happening. Have you seen the demographics of your school starting to change a little bit? Are you seeing people come in here that don't look like you? This is God sending them here so that they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. In my neighborhood, also, I live in the greater Toronto area. So we're about 50 kilometers from downtown Toronto. Um, I read a report recently. Over 50% of the population of the greater Toronto area was not born in Canada. That means literally the nations have come to our area, which is awesome. So we recently moved uh, from a house that we lived in for a bunch of years to a, a different house in a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a lower income community in our neighborhood anyways. And our street is so exciting. I can tell you right now, our, so we're in a, a, a semi and the guy attached to us is from mainland China. He hardly has any friends here in Canada. They've been here for a long time, but his English isn't that great. And so he has tons of unreached family members back in China. If this guy gets the gospel, it's go you can guarantee it's going to China. Like two doors down on our little crescent is a family from northern Afghanistan. They've been here for 13 years. Her English is horrendous. My wife befriended her, and literally the first Canadian friend she has in 13 years. They're from Afghanistan. If you've read the news recently, there was a massive car bombing this week in Afghanistan near where this lady lives. And so she has unreached family members. She's Muslim, but I believe that we're put in our neighborhood specifically to reach this family. And we're gonna do everything that we can in our neighborhood to give them the light of the gospel. On the other side of our court, there was a guy living there. At least he was up until this summer. Um, he was different. Um, his, the, the Wi-Fi router for his house was 666. And he has this pit bull named Lucy, which we thought, well, it's cute, Lucy. Oh, no, no. It's short for Lucifer. This guy had named his dog Lucifer. He's a legit Satan worshiper on our court. And this guy's having all-out brawls with his girlfriend on our court. And we were in Romania this summer. We came back. Our other neighbors told us that the cops come, came one night and basically hauled them all away. We haven't seen them since. I don't know if I want a Satan worshiper, like, around my kids, or could it be that we were the light to the gospel to this guy. We missed the opportunity in the six months that he was living there. 
So think about, like, just in our little court in the GTA, the gospel can go out to Afghanistan, it can go out to China, and it can go out to the heart of darkness in our Satan-worshipping neighbor himself. You know, and so that, that's our task for me and my family. The Lord hasn't called me out to the mission field, but he's definitely called our family to be a light of the gospel to the community around us. And I would suggest the exact same thing for every person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ in this church. That is my charge to you this morning. Listen, the Lord has strategically placed you just so close to all the unbelievers around you so that they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's your mission. So maybe the Lord hasn't called you to foreign missions. Guaranteed, for sure, he has placed you and you have a responsibility to the lost around you right here in Kelowna. That's your mission. So we need to get going on that. There should be some urgency that's building up in us as we consider that. Listen, if the sheer numbers don't do it for you, if you're like, well, six billion is a large number. I don't really know how I fit into that. Listen, if, if the numbers don't provide urgency, I, I, let me just give you a real quick history lesson. In the storyline of God's word, so God's in the process right now of building his kingdom. The the overarching storyline is God redeeming his people in this story. And he's setting up his kingdom. And so if we've been placed into the timeline of this story, where are we here in 2018? Are we in the beginning? Okay, fine. Are we in the middle then? Early church? Acts? We look a lot like the early church, but we're not. We're like here, (laughs) maybe not the last page, but pretty much close to the end as far as the storyline goes. So think about that. If, If this was a baseball game, we would be in the bottom of the ninth inning. There would be two out. It would be a full deck. Everybody in this church would have their rally caps on, and we'd be going, let's go, Jesus, let's go. That's what we'd be doing as a church. That's the reality of where we are in the timeline of history. There should be some urgency here as a church. God has placed us not just in this community, but in this timeline of his story. Like never before do we have the ability and access to the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Right now, I can reach into my pocket and pull up my phone and dial up anybody in this country and FaceTime with them if they have an internet connection. Think about that, trying to explain that to Hudson Taylor in the 1800s when he went to China as a missionary. There'll be a day, Hudson, we don't have to spend you know, an entire year trying to get to China. You can actually just dial them up on your pocket phone and magically through the airwaves, you can talk to someone right now. So that's, God has put us strategically here for a time such as this. So what's the holdup then? If God's building his kingdom, church, what are we waiting for? Why can't God just come back right now? He can, if he wants to. No one knows the time or the day. Even Jesus doesn't know the time or the day. What are we waiting for? Well, Matthew 24, 14 says this. And this gospel of the kingdom, see the kingdom language here again? This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Mark that up in your Bible. The whole world has not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And all nations do not yet worship him. That's the task left remaining for us in getting the good news of Jesus Christ. So I believe that the work of mission is still ahead of us. I'm not cowering in my house, staring at the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. Trust me, church, there's days where I pray, God, can you just return? This is hard, man. Ministry's hard, right? Like, this life is not easy. And there's days, honestly, in my weakness, I'm like, God, it would be so much easier if you just came back. Take my whole family at once. That'd be awesome. 
But then it, the reality sinks in, no, no, no. I still have unsaved people in my family that we're calling out for. I still have unsaved people in my neighborhood that desperately need the gospel. There are still nations that have never heard the name of Jesus yet, and I don't believe he's coming back until we do the job that he's assigned us to do. So we need to get to work, church. Christ is going to return. And that moment, we're going to have to give an account to him. Every person is going to give an account. Every person in this room. Listen, whether you identify yourself as a believer of Jesus Christ or you don't in this place right now, you're going to give an account for your life. For the believer, it's well done, good and faithful servant. We have parables of the talents to show us that Christ is asking us to multiply what we have. So in other words, I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and be like, yes, I had the gospel, but I didn't do anything with it. I had so much opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with my neighbors and my coworkers, but I didn't. Sorry. Who wants to stand before the Lord and say that in that moment? I want to stand before the Lord one day. I want my wife and my kids to stand before the Lord and say, we did everything we could in our power. Lord, you totally changed the finances in our family. Lord, you changed the things that we once thought were important. They're no longer important because I want to stand before the Lord and give an account for my life. And Lord, I tried everything that I could within my family that others would know the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the report I want to give. That's the report I want my church to give. That's the report I want this church to give. And so there should be some urgency in that as we consider that. We're going to give an account one day. That's the believers in the room. If you don't follow Jesus Christ and you're within the sound of my voice here this morning, you're also going to give an account for your life. So I realize that in this point, in the word from the Lord this morning, these are hard things for us to hear. And I get it that some of you might be saying right now, listen, I didn't sign up for this. That's where your heart's at right now. I get it. I get discipleship is a process. Understanding our responsibility as believers to Christ, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And so listen, is the point, if, you, if you're checked out at this point, go back to the beginning. Seek first the kingdom of God. Listen, don't just trust what I'm saying to you. Investigate for yourself. I guarantee you'll come to the same conclusion. Listen, our third point is this. Not only must we be compelled to missions that causes urgency finally, and honestly, I must count the cost of mission. And it's this. It's our sacrifice. Turn with me again uh, a couple of chapters ahead to Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24. This is a hard passage of Scripture. And I think it's right and I think it's fair that we read it this morning. So again, this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to his disciples. That's us. He says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For listen, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay every person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his, what does it say there, church? His kingdom. His kingdom. I want to warn you this morning from God's word. 
that if you choose to follow Jesus Christ, that it is going to come at a cost. And we can pick out three distinct markers of that cost in this passage. There are three steps, maybe a litmus test for you. There are three tests to sacrificially living for the kingdom of God. Do you see them here? First one says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. So if you're going to participate truly in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it means that we first stop building our own kingdoms. The marker of a follower of Jesus Christ who's living a life on mission, a true disciple, this marker is self-denial. That means we're putting aside our own fleshly wants and desires. It's hard, right? For some of us, that means we don't get to buy the things that we would really like to buy. We don't participate in the worldly pursuits that maybe our neighbors do. You see, the thing is, as we grow closer to Jesus Christ, as we are created more and more into his image, we start to desire the things that Christ desires. That's the beauty of discipleship. That's where the world starts to think that we are crazy. There's people in my family that think I'm crazy. That's okay. Listen, have you heard someone say to you, you give how much money to the church? That's irresponsible. Or you're going where in the world on your vacation? Oh, that's dangerous. You spend how much time at your church? That's crazy. Listen, church, listen to me right now. Our lives of self-denial should make no sense to the unbeliever. They should make no sense whatsoever. Secondly, we deny ourselves. It says here, in God's word, that we take up your cross. That simply means that I'm willing to pay any price. I'm willing to pay any price for the cause of Jesus Christ. That literally means that we're going to strap a torture device to our back and start walking if that means the gospel goes out. You know, Jesus is using very strong language here. When he said this to the disciples, they knew exactly what he meant when he said, pick up your cross, pick up your torture device and follow me. Listen, it's going to be hard. You are going to be persecuted. In this country, it's coming. Trust me, loved ones, persecution will increase in this country for the believer in Jesus Christ. You're going to get mocked. You might even get injured at some point. Listen, you might even get killed. Maybe not so much now, here, in our day, but I guarantee you that today, someone on this planet is dying for their faith. Loved ones, you're going to follow Jesus Christ. It's going to come at a cost. Just consider for a moment. Just stop and think about the price that Christ paid for you and me on the cross. And thirdly here, we're called to deny ourselves. We're called to take up the cross and then simply to follow him. When it says follow him there, that's total and complete submission to Jesus Christ. This is the giving to him of total lordship over our lives, and we're following him in crazy obedience. That's what it means to follow him, complete and total surrender to the king of kings. That's what we're called to. So church, if we truly understand the kingdom of God and are seeking it first, it means that we're living a life of radical sacrifice and surrender for the cause of our king. That's our privilege. 
I want to give you uh, an example of that here locally. Um, there's a girl that's in this church. I won't say her name, but I can tell you one thing. Um, she is very bright and a sharp communicator. Uh, she's well-educated. She's very high capacity. In the corporate world, she'd be at the executive level, and as a result, she would probably be very, very highly paid and an influencer. And, you know, she knows her calling, and she knows exactly what the Lord has burdened her for. And he's burdened her for the people of Hamilton and specifically burdened her for the mothers and young children that live in the downtown core of Hamilton. And if you've been there, you know that there's multi-generational lives of poverty and abuse and hopelessness in that area of the city. And she's learned that, like, listen, no government program and no matter of social assistance is going to make the change that needs to be changed, that needs to happen in the downtown core of Hamilton. It's only the light of Jesus Christ that shines in the dark place that will have any iota of difference down there. She knows that, so she's given her life to that. So instead of living here in the comfort of Burlington or Oakville, she's chosen to live in the worst part of town. Of town. And in that part of where she lives, crime is the highest, and her personal safety is the lowest. Think about that as a single woman. And she's denied herself the comfort and safety because Christ has told her to follow him in a very specific mission. And the mission that she works for, it frequently exposes her to, I kid you not, peril. She gets death threats. And probably on a daily basis, she gets mistreatment as a result. But if you talk to her, she'll say, all of that is but taking on the cross and worthy of self-denial because of the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's the only hope. It's the only hope for the downtown core of Hamilton. It's the only hope for Burlington, Oakville, Canada, this world. So church, we need to pray that there's more people like her in this church. We need people that, who have counted the cost. We need people who are prepared to bear the full weight of the cross because Jesus bore the full weight of the cross for you and I. Oh, Lord, what this church might look like. God, if you filled it with passionate, kingdom-minded, brightly lit followers of Jesus Christ who care for the lost sheep and are willing to go to the ends of the earth to see them rescued through the power of the gospel. Father, would you do that in this church? So church, is it any wonder then that the mission statement of this church is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission of the Spirit of the Great Commandment. What is it? Go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. What's the Great Commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. See what we're aiming for in this church? That's why our fourth pillar, not the first pillar, the fourth pillar, the fourth pillar is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. It's the discipleship model that we're trying to push this church towards. Listen, any wonder then that the fifth G in our discipleship model is go time, where we're encouraging everyone in this place to spend time annually seeing the, the gospel spread here locally and globally. That's what we're aiming for as a church. Will you participate in that? I'm begging you, please. I want to end this morning where we started with Matthew 6:33. And that passage, like I said, is our core passage. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Loved ones, look at the promise that's attached to this. And all these things will be added unto you. You know that the context of this verse, Jesus is actually referring, he's teaching his disciples. He's referring to fear and worry and anxiety. 
the exact same exact things that cause us not to be on mission fear and worry anxiety well lord what if you call my son or my daughter to the mission field and i never see them again listen god knows he knows your needs and wants well lord what if i lose my retirement savings for this listen all of these things will be added unto you See, the reality of seeking first the kingdom of God is that when we do it, we are guaranteed that all the things that we worry about will be taken care of. So I want to ask you this morning, just in the stillness of your own heart, will you trust the Lord? Listen, church, will you trust the Lord to provide whatever he is calling you to this morning? Whatever that might be, will you surrender to him right now? Surrender your life? Surrender your own kingdom and answer the call to follow him. You know, I've come to learn that in my life, the greatest joy and personal fulfillment in this life is found at the center of God's mission for my life. This mission starts by seeking first the kingdom of God. So I want to invite you to um, just close your eyes, bow your head. I think it's right this morning that we leave some room for a response. Because this is a hard message and it's hard to hear and it's hard to implement and we need the Holy Spirit to help us to do this. And so, Father, we say, Holy Spirit, would you help us right now in this moment? I want to speak to three people in this room right now, three types of people. And the first person is the person who feels compelled to go. And you know the Lord has been speaking to you, not just today, but maybe for months or even years, and he's given you a burden to reach the nations for Jesus Christ. And maybe you don't know what the next steps are, have clarity in that, but you cannot shake this deep concern and love you have for the unreached. So I'm not going to ask you for a commitment or a pledge or even to come up here this morning. I just want you to say three simple words of prayer to the Lord those three simple words are this. I will go. If that's you, just pray to the Lord this morning. Just tell him, Lord, I'll go. I don't know what that means, but I'll go. If that's in my neighborhood, or the place I work, or a country I've never been to, Lord, I will go. And you know, there's a second group here. And I believe the Lord has been speaking to you today as well, and I count myself part of this group. And the Lord is calling you to a deeper level of kingdom sacrifice and sending out more labors into the field. And for some of you, that means you're going to be giving more financially, maybe even radically changing your lifestyle. And for others in this group, the Lord has given you the burden of prayer as the fuel of mission. And right now, you want to affirm your commitment to pray for missions and missionaries around the world. So I'm not asking you for money this morning. I'm not asking you for commitment. I'm simply asking you to pray three words, three words to the Lord. I will send. So that's you right now in this place. And I pray that's everyone. Pray it. I will send. I don't know what that means, but I'll do it because I'm about your kingdom. 
There's a third person here. And to be honest, you are the most important person in this room right now. You're the person who's been prayed for the most. And you know right now that you don't belong to either of these first two groups because you are not seeking first the kingdom of God. Nor are you part of the kingdom of God. And you have been living in darkness and sin long enough. And today is the day that that ends for all of eternity. And you know that your way has only led to despair and to hopelessness. Listen to me, please. I'm begging you right now. Just say three simple words. Pray to the Lord. I will follow. Right now, this morning, Jesus is giving you the opportunity to take the first step in following him. Place your trust in him. Commit your life to him. If I'm talking to you right now, listen, no one's looking at you. Everyone has their eyes closed and their heads bowed. If that's you right now in this place, just raise your hand. The Lord sees you. Today is the day of your salvation. Don't walk out of this place right now. I'm begging you. It's just you and your Savior who's calling out to you. He's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying to you right now, listen, child, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right now, you just need to confess your sin. And listen, if you do so, his word said he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin. He will cleanse you from all unrighteous. Listen to me. Jesus is desperate to adopt you into his kingdom and to give you an inheritance and to call you his son or his daughter. But you have to answer the call to follow him. So I'm begging you right now, just pray three words. I will follow.